Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. As you find that, Lord, we just thank you for an opportunity this morning to share. And I pray that your word would speak. The Holy Spirit would soften each of our hearts to receive what you have for us through this particular text. I pray, God, that you would... uh, Just open up our eyes, help us to see, help us to hear, and help us to apply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. It reads this way. For the word of God is alive and active. You all can read with me if you like. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Would you just look to the left or the right and just tell your neighbor, access granted. Access is granted. Uh, As a student manager here years ago uh, for the men's basketball team, they would give us these passes that allowed us into the back sort of hallways of asbestos, uh, also known as (laughs) U-Haul. So we had the privilege to, no, we were Setting up, we'd get there a couple of hours before the game, did what we need to do, but we were able to sort of navigate as we needed to navigate. Um, but how many know there was some effort that had to be taken on my part, especially in all of the other managers? We had to get dressed. We had to walk or drive early. We had to fill up the coolers and do everything that the team would need. There was some effort to accompany or partner with the access that had been granted. I think for all of us sometimes in life, Uh, particularly in our spiritual walks, we have access, as evidenced by the general tenor of Scripture and as we'll illuminate here, this text. Uh, But for us, the effort sometimes might lag or it might drag for a number of reasons. Timidity, uh, uh, shame, guilt, entitlement, apathy, whatever the barriers, busyness that might be, it might inhibit us from actually putting forth the effort needed to embrace the access that's been granted. If we look at the life of Moses, for example... Um, We've heard a lot about how when he went up to the mountain, what happened there, and when he came back. But when they were in Rephidim, and then they kind of set out from Rephidim in Exodus 19, um, and they they kind of, the people of Israel encamped at the foot of the mountain, and Moses went up. There's a lot said about what happened there and what happened on the way down, or after having coming down, but not a lot said about the climb and the effort that there was to be taken to have climbed that mountain. Isaac, similarly, there was a mountain of faith 
that needed to be climbed. We hear of several times even that he had to go back and forth. And effort, no doubt, was a part of that. A few years ago, we had an opportunity to climb a mountain. Uh, Truth is, it was like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, where we climbed Humpback Rock. Anybody do that? This is a hiking town, and we did it just to say that we did it. That's why we haven't been back. (laughs) We live in Charlottesville. We got to hike one time so we can say, I remember. Uh, But that's not our thing. Though when we got to the top of the mountain, we looked out, if you've ever been up there or any other mountain, and we said, oh, my goodness, God's creation is amazing. Love the view. Hated the climb. (laughs) And I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't think we're alone in that. Many of us, maybe literally in that regard or figuratively, love the view. God, be there for me. Open up this door. The windows of heaven let you pour out the blessing that I can't receive. But the climb to have that view, the getting up in the morning when you don't feel like it, maybe a little bit early or a lot early before your kids wake up, which might be 4 a.m. <laughs> the lunchtime you want to work through because the work never stops. At night when you're really tired and you're like, yeah, Jesus wept. <laughs> The climb, the climb of traffic. In Charlottesville, maybe that doesn't work too well. But the traffic that we have to get to church or to the victory group. We don't necessarily want to make it, but yet the view we want to embrace. And there are many reasons for that, as some of which we alluded to before. I think it was Dallas Willard who said, Grace, God's amazing grace that does in fact transform our devotional life, which is the overwhelming or overarching thought for today, um, It is amazing, but it's not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And sometimes the two might be conflated in that we don't have to do anything. No, we can't earn salvation. But yes, he invites us. His grace is inviting. And there for sure is no hierarchy as it relates to the benefits of his grace. We've talked about a few of the benefits uh, in recent weeks and we'll continue to do so next week. But the idea that we can be invited into to come find, as verse 16 says, which doesn't mean it's lost, but to pursue grace confidently and boldly, that's a benefit I hope we can all embrace with some excitement, that we are allowed in with boldness to our Heavenly Father. The book of Hebrews, uh, we don't know, there's a lot of back and forth about who wrote the book and some discrepancy around that, but we do know that the recipients knew who was talking. And so the author throughout the text is talking about Jesus being the mediator, if you will, between us and God. And it seems as though throughout the general tenor of of the book of Hebrews that the readers are in danger, if you will, of drifting away from the faith, going back to the comfort of their old customs, Judaism. Um, In our case, it might be whatever that might be. And to that end, there may have already been some defection in this particular community. So here, the book of Hebrews, the author is encouraging and he's exhorting them to stand firm in their faith, reminding them that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. And there's also this series of warnings of the dangers to, to doing such drifting, if you will, uh, and that they need not remain immature in their faith, refusing to embrace and move forward in God. And in the verses leading up to verse 12 that we started with today, and even chapter 3 for that matter, there's this conversation about the rest that we can enter into. 
Gospel of Matthew says it this way. All who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. So the writer here is saying there's rest to come into. Come on, extend some faith and stop working and striving so hard for the rest you so desperately seek. It's found in me and only in me, that being Jesus Christ. And in verse 12, there's almost like this admonishment as if to say, and he'll know if you're really coming in to that rest. Because this word is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. There is, if you will, an ever-knowing, omniscient, all-knowing God who really gets where we are. He'll get what maybe behaviors we display, but where our hearts might be and how congruent those might be. Not meant to be a scare tactic at all, but truth nonetheless. The flip side, perhaps more encouraging for us, is that his word is alive. It can breathe on the ashes that the worship team just spoke about, such that we don't have to remain dead. It can breathe on the relationship that seems dead. It can breathe on the work situation that seems like it just won't be resurrected. That dissertation that just seems like your advisor wants you to be here for 10 years to finish, God's word is alive and it's active. It can penetrate and permeate any aspect of life that we find ourselves in, in a way that we find victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me in whatever dead spaces we find ourselves in. Isaiah 55 and 11 says it this way. When God's word goes out, I'm paraphrasing, it accomplishes that for which it was sent. It doesn't return void. Parenthetical, if he said something to you 10, 15, I don't care if it was 20 years ago, he is not a man that he should lie. His word doesn't come back void. It accomplishes that which it was sent to accomplish. The word, capital W, is personified in the living person that we now can have a relationship with. This two-edged sword, not a blunt force. Uh, A pastoral colleague of mine will, will say it this way. It's not like a butcher's tool where it comes to beat you up and you feel when you walk out of church or wherever, you're kind of like, good gracious. It's like, I'm just jacked up human being, beat up all over the place, not encouraged. No, it's like a surgeon's tool such that when it cuts and it opens up and it shows you who you are, there's healing and wholeness that can take place with your figuring out who and whose you are. Revelation 1 and 16 uses a very similar imagery of a two-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. A sword that definitely exposes and judges and defeats lies for each of us in the room. A fundamental weapon, no doubt, to fight the spiritual battles that you and I all have to face. Not with violence, but with speaking the truth. Quite apropos, and having celebrated MLK's birthday this past week and tomorrow more formally, no doubt he took his cue from... The life of Jesus Christ in how to, with action, engage the injustices of the day. Verse 13 goes on to say, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We can't hide from the creator. There's nothing about us that he doesn't already know, nor that will eventually be found out. Therefore... Hopefully we've provided a backdrop for why that's there. Since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we we profess. Since we have a high priest, which 
takes us back to the Old Testament. Those who are familiar with the high priest who had to every year, once a year, go into what was considered the Holy of Holies. Behind the veil, there was a curtain in which nobody could go except for the high priest. And every year they would go into atone for the sins of everybody, including their own. And Hebrews is referencing it as to say, no, we have now a greater high priest. He who took on human flesh, died a death we should have died, and in so doing, tore that veil such that we don't need anyone to go in for us. The veil is torn. And he was without sin, unlike the priest of the Old Testament who had sin of their own to atone for. And such, he only had to atone for it once and for all. That's good news. Amen. Amen. So we know that we have better, and since we know that we have better, we can hold fast. We can hold firmly. We can grip tightly, not the tentative grip that we are sort of conditioned to do because of the failings of people in our lives. No, this is a sure foundation. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. It's quite radical, at least to me. Um, to think of a God who would take on human flesh to become like us. Who does that? Who takes on ridicule? Who takes on blame? Those who said, oh, you're the Messiah, prophesy to me now. Who does that unless there's this countercultural orientation to his way of living that said, I am doing this so that my will can be accomplished. Can I hasten to one of the conclusions you and I are called to live in a very similar way, a very countercultural way? MLK, again, whom we're celebrating, very countercultural in the way that he sort of engaged the culture, if you will. And here we are today as the church. <laughs> Tempted to shy away from what might be countercultural, but what at the end of the day is for the saving of lives, as was Jesus' incarnation. Really, you're going to come and you're going to take on this? For me, you're going to be like me, yet be unlike me so that you can deliver me from my sins? Since we have this high priest, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and the focus of our time, find grace to help us in our time of need. He's both approachable and he's powerful. I've been watching the uh, Aaron Hernandez Netflix on, uh, and uh, I just realized that might be a spoiler alert. Let me find another <laughs> analogy, literally in the moment. I can't do that, can I? Suffice it to say, we have people in our lives who might be approachable, but can't help us. Yes? Or we might have some folks who might be able to transform us, do things to us, maybe help, maybe not, but not so approachable. Point being, in Jesus, we have something we can't really find anywhere else. Someone who is approachable and yet someone who can actually help us. I don't need, if I can be transparent for a moment, somebody who has been in the darkest, deepest pits of depression who has yet to really see victory or overcome it. At least I didn't need that 10 years ago when I was there. I didn't need somebody saying, I hear you and I'm with you. Let's go together. When I was thinking about, oh, life is just not worth it. Y'all hear me? 
I needed somebody approachable and somebody who could actually help. Someone who's overcame and overcome and now could see a little bit more than I could see at the moment. And Jesus, we have that very person. I was there. I was with you. Nothing that's too difficult or seemingly so for you now is anything that I haven't already been through and overcome. Hello, death and the grave. What does the song say? He borrowed the grave for three days and then robbed that joker. (laughs) There's nothing too difficult for him. He's like us. You're welcome for those who hadn't seen the Netflix series. I had a whole little thing I was about to share until just now and said that wouldn't be fair. That would not be fair, but I think you could watch it. It'd be fun. But yet there are these points of tension that keep us from fully receiving God's instruction and coming fully into his presence. And I'll go through just a few of them and we'll close. One is that of entitlement. We referenced in the previous week that the lower that we view our sin, the less valuable and relevant grace becomes. It's a throne of grace for a reason. We don't get to come near because inherently we deserve it or we've worked so hard, or our pedigree says this, or even, sorry, PKs like myself, that your family has worshipped and done so much for the kingdom. It's another conversation, but if we're honest, there's a bit of entitlement. Sometimes you can slip into, and God says, I owe you what? Hello? <laughs> Romans 12, 1 says, you offer your bodies as living sacrifices as what? Reasonable service. We work really hard. They're super saints. Jesus freaks. <laughs> no, reasonable service. And his grace essentially says, no, we don't get to come to this throne of grace because of who we are, who we think we are, and who's come before us. What we've done, we're extended an invitation that's rooted in unmerited favor. Not our performance. An acknowledgement of our failings, not because of our awesomeness. Entitlement. Be wary of that barrier that would preclude us from fully entering in the access that's been granted for all of us. Secondly, apathy. Just because we have this free access doesn't mean it didn't cost something. I mean, you know, it cost him his very life. And sometimes what can become or what has been most exhilarating, exciting, can become mundane. I look at my wife of 14 years who every day it gets more exhilarating. (laughs) But if we're not careful, oh, yeah, 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 I know. I'm doing something. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of us in life, the very gift God gave you, whether it's a spouse, a friend, a, 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 a job, whatever it is he's blessed you with was exhilarating. Hallelujah. I got a praise report 10 years later. Yeah, that old thing. What at one point was exhilarating, you saved me, I don't forget where you brought me from, can become mundane. This breath I'm just used to breathing, never mind the fact that you think about me for it to happen. Apathy can cause us not to embrace the invitation and the access that's been granted for us. I'll sleep in this morning. Church, eh, I'm doing my own thing. It's a personal relationship. (laughs) Which it is, don't hear me wrongly, but you hear what I'm getting at, right? Ah. I digress for a moment. I'll come back, I promise. We do a lot of, lot of uh, can we give God a shout of praise in here, right? And so a lot of that back and forth, not because it's just that I enjoy call and response, and I do, but there's something about participating together more corporately. If you read the Psalms, there's a whole lot about how we lift our voices together. 
oh, that does something in the body of Christ when we do so. I hope it's not just routine and, 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 and style or preference or even just rote memory that you respond in kind to anything that I or somebody else says. But literally, you're thinking about how good our God has been and doing what you can't do at home with your own little personal thing with God. You can't have the echo of voices in the room, brothers and sisters alongside whom are declaring victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? Apathy. It cost Jesus everything as our great high priest for us to be extended this lavish invitation to come into his presence and to approach him. And remembering the gospel often is what helps to refresh the beauty of that grace and ignite our apathy back into passion. So I hope you hear inherent in that a lack of condemnation for when you do feel it. There's no lofty place here. Let's get, I'm right where we are and feel oftentimes, I just don't feel like it. I am reading the Bible through in a year and I'm in Chronicles. I can't take it. <laughs> Leviticus, pick one. Revelation, what are they talking about? I don't know. <laughs> We're all there, but reigniting, if you will, that passion. We've got to remember the gospel often, simple, practical, yet profound. And I've become more so the more I've walked with Christ. And not that I don't appreciate seminary training and all the discussions that we'll get to have as, as, as we move along in our time in, in, in church sort of progression. But one thing I've always or I've begun more so to come back to is, man, all this stuff. And we're talking about the third heaven and this and that. And it's fun. It's interesting and it's good. Am I loving my wife? <laughs> you know about that just profound, basic truth and principle God gives us. Am I forgiving another? Am I sitting with another's burdens and bearing them gently? Am I? How am I coming off? Y'all are hearing what I'm saying? So when I'm talking about this idea of reigniting a passion by remembering the gospel often, simple in its, in its articulating, but in practice, where are we? Because if we're going to see a people reconciled to God and each other, it's going to come right on back to the fundamentals. Amen. We'll get to the third heaven someday, okay? And all of that for the theologians in the room. Romans 8 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not that. Fourthly, or thirdly, avoidance. One of the best ways to avoid obedience is to avoid his word. For all of the reasons that we just referenced. And I would venture to say that the busyness of life that is real, um, that might detract us from getting in the word, is more an issue of lordship. One of the Ten Commandments says, remember the Sabbath. It's an issue of lordship. Do I trust you? And when I'm getting into your word and focusing my time there, you're taking care of everything else that I'm so worried about. Fourthly, timidity. If we allow shame or guilt to determine how much God desires us in his presence, we'll never approach him. It'll be a non-starter because I'll be the first in line to say there's plenty of things for which I can feel shame and guilt. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'll tell you if you're not, you're lying. There's something that for which you could feel shame and guilt in that we've all fallen short from of the glory of God. But many of us find ourselves so riddled with shame and guilt that coming confidently to his throne is, again, a non-starter. I've been too many places, done too many things. But that's exactly the privilege we're given through the grace of God. 
We're sons and we're daughters who have been adopted based on who Christ is, not who we are. Shame will tell us to hide, but grace calls us to be found. I hope somebody's hearing this. I know I am today. So it's important we stop looking at our own self-worth and start considering the desire of God who sent his son to take on human flesh, to shed blood in order for us to gain us back. Let the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus give us all confidence that God joyfully desires us in his presence. Every now and then, as I close, um, I would invite a friend to come with me to the asbestos (laughs) U-Haul. Hey, just come on. I know so-and-so now. They know who I am. This past will get us through. There's access now for you, too. And they would be scared. Man, I can't. You know we got the honor code. Like, what happens if they don't? What? I said, man, it's all good. Come meet Dickie V or whoever was coming that night. Vince Carter. That was a big night when they were playing for UNC. Come, come on. No, I'm scared. And I think of how many times I, if I'm honest, was like the friend. Will he really want to hear me? Do I really have the access that you say that I have? I want to come back to verse 12. His word is alive and it's active. That means 1 John 1 and 9 has got to ring true. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 17, the old has passed away, the new has come. I am a new creation. And now that I am new and grace abounds and I've been declared righteous as we talked about last week, now I get to put forth some effort. I get to take a look at the pictures of all of the small group leaders and where they are and say, Oh, man, I need to plug in. Or I get to say, you know what? They don't have one in. (sighs) Ivy Road yet. Let me start one. You know what? They only have one on grounds. Well, shoot, I can't meet Monday night, but I can meet Wednesday night. Let me lead one. How might we put forth effort to access and embrace the grace in such a way that God is glorified, that we can take the next step of obedience, and that we can see just how alive and penetrating God's word is and wants to be for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word every day, to collectively engage the word corporately every week at least on Sunday and hopefully throughout the week. For those in the room, Heavenly Father, who have yet to really embrace how alive your word is, that they're not just dead words on a page written by some folks never not here anymore, <laughs> but that your word is intended 
for us to live by and live through today. For those in the room having difficulty with that, but today wanting to turn the corner and say yes to you, I pray that you soften their hearts right now. Those sitting here, those watching by live stream, and with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here and haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, or here having made a decision in the past, but recognizing my life really looks nothing like the decision I thought I made. If either one of those categories of you raise your hand, we want to pray with you this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing grace that transforms our devotional life. The amazing grace and mercy that took on human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ to become like us, yet who was not like us in that you did not sin when tempted. So that now we can approach boldly, confidently, your throne of grace, having torn the veil yourself and given us said access. I pray for those of us having already made the decision to follow you, we'll make another one afresh today to give efforts that maybe we haven't previously to embrace said grace. And maybe it's not just more effort, but new effort in spaces we've just closed off to your grace ever filling. It's amazing and sufficient for a reason. Help us to lean into your grace in those spaces. May we surround ourselves in community such that there can be a mirror held up to us where we can see, yes, how well we're doing. Yes, how much we've grown over this past year in this first year of a church plan and over the 20 or 30 or 50 years that we've been walking with you and to see the ways in which we're still not you and the ways in which we still have yet to be further reconciled to you and help us to not earn or think that we can earn, but to put forth the effort to partner well with you. In Jesus' name, amen.